Good morning. Well, thank you for letting me come. This morning, I want to share with you from one of my favorite stories in the Word of God. Of course, we all have many favorites, and every time we read, we find another one, but that's good. I love this story because uh, these two people, and as you read the story, it's not clear who they are. It could be a couple of men. It could be a man and his wife. But they're walking back to their village after being in Jerusalem, taking part in the Passover feast and the celebration and all. And they had either seen all that had happened with Jesus and his crucifixion, or at least they had heard all about it. And they're really discouraged. They, along with everybody else in that town, had misunderstood Jesus' mission. They thought, and we're counting on that very thing happening, that he was going to come, Jesus, and he was going to, uh, the Messiah, and uh, he was going to set up his kingdom, and it was going to be right away. But you see, when he was crucified, they, along with everybody else, was really shocked. And they thought all was lost. They thought, it's not going to happen. They thought they were doomed to live forever under the yoke of Rome. So we pick up the story. If you don't know where it is, it's in Luke 24, verse 13. It says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. It was Sunday. The Sunday of the resurrection of Jesus. And these two disciples, not knowing that Jesus was risen from the dead, traveled on their way back to their village of Emmaus. And like the scripture said there, it's seven miles. So as they walked along, there was plenty of time to talk. And you can imagine the conversation with what they thought was going to happen and what did happen. You can imagine the conversation and the inflection in their voices and how they would have gotten in each other's faces, you know, know, that kind of thing. And the disappointment would be there tremendously and the, the tone, the body language, everything be there because of the disbelief of what had happened. They talked about everything that had happened, the arrests, all the various kinds of trials and meetings and everything, and then the crucifixion itself. They knew he was crucified. They knew that it was the death of criminals. They knew that it was the death of the worst of societies, certainly not someone like him. They knew him as this wonderful man who had done so much for so many different people. They knew him as that one that, well, they expected so much from him, so much more in the future, but now he's gone. So quietly, Jesus comes along side of him, it says. And he went with him for a while. And then however 
guy did it. You know, he just made him invisible for a minute. Well, whatever. They couldn't see him. Their eyes were restrained somehow. And then he spoke to them. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another that as you walk and are sad? Then one of those whose name was Cleophas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? Have you ever noticed that when someone asks Jesus a question, he always answered their question with a question of his own? He put it right back in their court. So he asked them about what they've been talking about. Why are you so sad talking about this? And again, from it says that he'd been there for a while, but we can understand that he'd been there for a little while because he heard the kind of things that they were talking about, of course. And it was evident from their face, from their body language, their countenance and all. that They were really upset. And he knew what they knew. And he knew what they didn't know. He knew, obviously, that the Messiah had been crucified. And he also knew that he's risen. Because it was him. They asked him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known these things which happened? Well, he must have smiled at that on the inside at least. He knew pretty well. So he says back, what things? And so he's, let's say, skillfully playing along with them, encouraging more conversation, encouraging them really to reveal where they're coming from, to reveal the hearts. Isn't that interesting how he did that with them? This little scene reminds us of many things, but one, the fact that Jesus longs for us to tell him our hearts, but only every day. Even though he already knows our hearts and he knows our thoughts intimately, he knows them before we do. He wants us to tell him our cares and our fears and he wants us to tell him our problems, the troubles in our life that have us so freaked out. He wants us to tell him about those hard things that we have been facing and those scary things and disappointments and the challenges and the heart breaks and what we fear is going to be happening. And he wants us to be honest and not sugarcoat it or make-believe or any that kind of thing. And he wants us to first give him praise. He, he wants us to Give him the praise, worship that he deserves. Because not only of the blessings that he pours out on us every day, but because of the end. Salvation. Eternity. With him. And concerning all those problems that we have every day, if we were really to take a good look and pay close attention we'd realize there's much more blessing than there is problems. We just concentrate on the problems. We focus on those. We let them make us anxious and worry. 
Now, don't we? He wants to hear our hearts. And you know what? It's really important for us to give him our hearts. It's really important for us to tell him all these things because when we do, it makes us, when we pray, it makes us really think about as we form those prayers, as the Spirit gives us the prayers, the things that have really been going on. It causes us to think about those things that he's been doing in our life. For all those years, those times that he's been faithful when we thought the world was over. Those times when he, he, he came through. I mean, I'm walking around this building going, he came through. Man, did he come through for you guys. How long before you got here? Long time. And did I get it right? You had to sit up in a building and all that? <laughs> I remember those days. <laughs> yeah, that's real fun. In fact, I was in a, a church for two weeks before coming here. Two different weekends I was there. And they had to sit up and tear down. They, they could get there at like 7.30, I believe, and they had to be out of the door and locked by noon. And so, boy, were they hustling after the service. But they had it down. They've been doing it for years. We're reminded of the blessings. We're reminded of the, the things that he does in our life every single day. Those things that we take for granted. They're just, they're supposed to be there. Right? I and mean, we're used to them. They, they, they should be there. But they're such Blessings. And as we look at those things, as we're reminded of those kinds of things, it frees us, our hearts, to truly worship him from the depths of our hearts. What a blessing. To just be able to, to reflect on the goodness of God and to reflect on how he's been so faithful in so many different parts of our life. I mean, every part of our life. The Lord said, what things? They said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since these things happened. Right there, their, their voices must have just trailed off third day already yes and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body and they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but him they did not see They explained what they knew about the Lord. They knew his name. They knew where he was from. They knew he was a prophet. They knew his mighty and deed and word. And they really knew he was crucified. They knew he had promised to redeem Israel. And they knew others had said that he had been risen from the dead. But we were hoping that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. 
Besides all this, today's the third day. Before all this, the disciples had hope of Rome being removed, them being free to have their own government to be, they really couldn't even imagine such a thing. They were disappointed because they didn't see what they thought was supposed to happen. But really, their hope wasn't disappointed. They were only misguided in what they were looking for. Because it was he. He was the Messiah. He was going to redeem Israel. But they were looking only at the physical. They were looking at the yoke of bondage they felt from the taxes and all the rules and regulations and everything under the, the rule of Rome. But really, their hope was fulfilled in a greater way a greater way than they could have ever dreamed about. A great salvation. Not just from Rome. Not just from this world, but set free for eternity from sin. And they didn't really even think about that, did they? They didn't really think about the bondage of the world. That they were so used to it. They just, and they didn't get it. Not right now, not at this time. The only thing these two disciples had to go on was the testimony of other people. They, they, they didn't know. And they were slow to believe. Even the report of the women coming back didn't impress them. Then when Peter and John went to the grave and came, gave their story, they, they weren't impressed either. Not about that. For a, for a little bit, but, but they didn't see him. And what Jesus wanted to know from them and he wants to know from you and me today is can we believe without seeing him? See, we're, we're the same way, aren't we? We like to see things right in front of us. I mean, do you have a problem envisioning heaven? Well, I think you probably do. I mean, we can be told a lot, but, you know, there's a little bit of information, not a, as much as we'd like to see in the Word. We'd like to see the stories. I mean, now we know streets of gold and certain things. But in reality, we have God's word. And it's 100% true. And it tells us this is what's going to be. This is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to work. This is how we're going to all be together in the marriage supper. We can believe the testimonies that have been given from the prophets, the apostles, the women as they came back, the 500 followers there in Jerusalem, and even that Roman centurion there at the cross. And certainly... from that first day, that first moment until this one, we have the 
spirit, don't we? We have the word that we can look at any time and all the time. But we have the spirit of God speaking to us and reminding us, prompting us, telling us in the smallest of ways to the hugest of ways. Last week I was at this other church and I'd finished my teaching and stuff on Saturday and Sunday. They had a, a guest speaker speaking about creation, evolution, and the, the battle going on now about that. And he was so excited. He must have been about 80 or something like that. And he was so excited. He was just a ball of fire, this guy. And he says, do you know about the gnat? What? Do you know about the gnat? You mean that little teeny thing? Yeah. Do you know, can you believe the engineering in that thing? The engineering in a gnat. I mean, it can go and just stop like that. Do you understand the pressure on that little teeny body to go like that? And if you scale it out, he was telling this story, if you scale it out to, from that big to a big old plane, he's going thousands of miles an hour to go like that. Nothing else on earth can do that. It couldn't stop like that without coming apart. And we're going, hey, you're right. That's cool, you know. <laughs> we take these things for granted. We take the design of God in this whole place for granted. He begins to interact with these guys. Jesus does. He begins to tell them why the Messiah had to suffer. 25, then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? So he was telling them, through this, this series of conversations, he's telling them that their problem with their disbelief was really more in their heart than in their head. We think so many times when we're witnessing to someone, even giving a, a talk like this, you know, that, you know, when we're t- talking to our unsaved family, friends, or someone on the street, or whoever it might be, that the main obstacle to their belief is in their head. But actually, it's the hardness of their heart. It's what they think they need. It's what they think they want. It, it's that wicked heart that we all have that causes the unbelief. And we're just not willing to, to accept what God has said because it would interfere with something, something we were doing or we'd like to do or we'd like to continue to do. Now, these two men should have believed. He calls them disciples. They should have believed what the prophet had said, that the Messiah would suffer first and then be received the glory, they, they, they would have known well the scriptures. And the prophets were very clear. They were precise. They were bold in giving the prophecies and everyone were on the mark, weren't they? I'm going to give you just a handful. You know these. Isaiah 53, verse 3 prophecy of the Messiah. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As we hid, as it were, our faces from him, he was despised and we 
did not esteem him. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We are healed. What a Savior. Amen? Chapter 50 of Isaiah, verse 5, is another example of what the prophet said. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. And I did hide my, did not hide my face from the shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Two more sharp. Daniel nine twenty six. The Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Hmm. Must be for you and me. Zechariah 12, another. They will look on me whom they've pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And we see this handful here of prophecies of, we, we know well, over 300 prophecies of the, the Lord's birth, life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. Over 300 perfectly fulfilled, the ones that have been fulfilled, and there's a bunch that are coming. And when they're done, we'll be with him. Hmm. Soon, we hope, right? In 27, and beginning, ooh, here's the exciting part coming. At beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He began to teach them what was surely one of the, if not the, most spectacular Bible studies ever given. Beginning at Moses, and all the prophets, he told them all about the Messiah. Now, that take a while. But they had a while. He told them that the Messiah was the seed of a woman whose heel was bruised. The blessing of Abraham to all the nations. The high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The man who wrestled with Jacob the lion of the tribe of Judah, the voice from the burning bush, the Passover lamb, the prophet greater than Moses, the captain of the Lord's army to Joshua, the ultimate kinsman redeemer mentioned in Ruth, the son of David who was the king greater than David, the suffering savior in Psalm 22, the good shepherd of Psalm 23, the wisdom of the Proverbs and the lover of the Song of Solomon, the Savior described in the prophets and the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, the princely Messiah of Daniel who would establish the kingdom that would never end. And there was surely more. Now think about this scene. They're casually walking along. No hurry to get home. Talking, encouraging each other about what had happened and, oh, it's going to be okay. 
but feeling sorry for themselves because, well, the Messiah didn't do what we thought he was going to do. I think I could say that they were totally in the flesh right there. Like you and me so often. when We don't get what we want. Then here comes a stranger. Comes out of nowhere. Starts talking and he starts talking like this. They, they had to just be amazed at his ability to teach, don't you think? His understanding of the scriptures, I mean, my goodness, he gave, we don't know the detail, but we can imagine the detail of all those stories of that. And they're thinking, because remember, their, their eyes have been restrained, blinded somehow. Who is this man who can do this? It says he expounded to them in all the scriptures. Wow. That describes how he did it. Expounding. The word means to simply let the text speak for itself. To expound the scriptures. That's exactly what a Bible teacher should do. Let the text speak for itself. The ancient Greek word for expounded has the idea of sticking close to the text. Good ideas. Stick close to the text. In another passage, when Luke uses this word, it's expressed in, in Acts 9 as translated. You want to have a translation accurate, don't you? So the point is, he didn't go off on rabbit trails. He didn't go off on speculative kind of ideas like so many teachers do. He stuck close to the text. Now, the Jews had been given this principle long before. You remember the story after the walls were rebuilt by Nehemiah, began in 445 B.C., after Ezra had brought some of the people back and after Ezra had restored the worship to the temple. It says the people gathered in an area in front of the water gate. And they call for Ezra to read the book, the Pentateuch, first five chapters, the law. And look what it says in Nehemiah 8, 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, the, all the people stood up. Well, why aren't you standing? You know, if... You stood and I sat down. It'd be a lot better. Because <laughs> I know I won't fall asleep. This is where I say, no one's ever fallen asleep on me. But that's not true. Many have. And in, in our church, it's set up basically like this. And, and right where that man's sitting there in the blue turquoise kind of blues, there was a, a gentleman that sat in about that spot every, every service. And he was about 90, I don't know, late 80s. And he was a dapper kind of guy. And he always had some light colored slacks and like a powder blue blazer kind of a thing. And one night he was sitting there and 
he always kind of went like this, you know. And one night he just went into the aisle. But he was really wide awake after that. <laughs> no one would be falling out of the windows, you know, if they were standing up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads, worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Hmm. Also, Joshua, Bani, Jerobiah, Jamin, Akub, oh, Akub, Jehabithiah, Hodajah, Masiah, Kalitha, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Beliah, Beliah, and the Levites helped, helped, <coughs> helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. Now listen to this one. This is the key. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Hopefully, that's what I'm doing right now. Because that's the kind of teaching that you hear at Calvary chapels all over the world. And not just in Calvary chapels. Many pastors from the old, old days right up into this minute around the world teach in this expository style of teaching. Where you take it apart and you, by and large, use other texts to support the text. You do use other themes, of course, but that's the whole idea. And you see, look what happened here. They read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them understand the reading. So as Ezra read the first five books, think about how long that took. These 13 men and the Levites listened to the reading of the law and then they moved among the crowd and they spoke to individuals, helping them get the sense of what he was saying if they didn't understand and making sure before they left them that they did understand. They read distinctly with clarity of voice and talking on the level, I don't mean loudly, of the people. Now, I was taught to speak towards those two guys sitting on that back row back there because your mic may not be doing the good job. And I need one that does a good job. In Nehemiah here, it says that they read to the men and the women earlier that we didn't read and any of those who could understand. I take that to mean any old enough to comprehend, understand. And we know that right now the Sunday school rooms, wherever they are, are taking care of that need. Age level teaching. So age appropriate. So they can understand. So we have Sunday school, we have youth ministries that are basically based on that kind of understanding. And so that the adults would understand it's important not to talk over their heads. By that I mean, I don't mean, you know, staring at the clock or something, but speaking normal language, 
not trying to impress them that you've been to college or seminary or something and you have those $5 words. You know, it used to be 50 cent words, but now with inflation. <laughs> to make yourself look good, you use those kind of words. I had a guy come up to me several years ago, about four years ago, and he said, wow, you did a really good job and you didn't use any 50 cent words. And I'm thinking, I think I know what you're trying to say. And yet not dumbing it down so that you're diluting what the word really says. There's a place in there that speak on the level of the people we're talking to and they get the idea. Give them the milk of the word and give them the meat of the word so that they can understand and then live out what's being taught in their lives. That's the general idea, isn't it? Yeah. Now let me tell you something. This may shock you, may not. I'm a former photojournalist, and I can tell you most newspapers are, and news magazines are written on about an 8 to 10 grade level. They don't want anything complicated. You know, New York Times and LA Times are pretty snooty, and they think they can, well, they claim that the people who read their newspapers are mostly college graduates. Well, good for them. But they still write on this level so that you and I and everybody else can understand it. The exception to that is the opinion page where people are invited or free to write in and give opinions and such. And I, they're, they're, there they can use their big words and impress themselves because <laughs> few others are, but. So we're to teach so that everybody can understand the message clearly and easily or else they may miss the whole point of it and that would be disastrous. Then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone farther but they constrained him saying abide with us for it's toward evening and the day is far spent and he went in to stay with them. It was custom back then if it got late in the day you would invite your guests to just stay over so they wouldn't go home in the middle of the night because they didn't have headlights and stuff right now it came to pass that as he sat at the table with them that he took bread and blessed it and broke it and he gave it to them and notice that he took the bread he's not the host of the house which would be normal but he was the lord of the house and so he took it and he blessed it and broke it and distribute it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Mission accomplished. He got to talk to them. Now he had given them what he wanted to give to them, and he heard what he wanted to hear from them. And now they can see clearly. They can now testify of him. They can live their lives for him, now they know he's alive and they're excited about that. And now they can live a life alive in Christ because he opened their eyes. Remember how he opened your eyes? Remember that day? I ask that question sometimes to people that are older than me. And they say, I don't know. It's been so long ago. I don't really remember that day. And I understand that. 
But I know this. When I found him, I wasn't looking for him. At least I didn't know that I was. I mean, I can remember the date myself because it was such a revolutionary thing to me. Um, because the night before, I was in a bar. And Sunday night, I was in church. That was big news for me. But the thing was, in that, that Sunday morning, he started dealing with me early in the day. And some pretty spectacular things I don't have the time to tell you right now. But by the evening, I was a Christian. That was shocking news for me. But oh, what a day it was. Everything changed. The lights came on. These two will never forget this Sunday, will they? No way. So how did he reveal himself to you? You, you know what that was. How did, he, how did he reveal Jesus to you? How did he reveal it to them? Was it that familiar way that he blessed and broke the bread and then distributed it to them? Was it when he handed it to them that he's, they saw the nail scars? Well, we don't know. However he did it, he revealed himself to them and their eyes were open. Wouldn't it be nice to say that once our eyes were open and we were born again, that we saw him every day. But the sad fact is, as a Christian, for many, many years, you can still have your eyes be restrained from seeing him and you can have your ears plugged from hearing him because of your life, things going on, situations, trouble, things of that nature, your flesh, my flesh. They're hard at work trying to deceive us, lying to us, keeping us from hearing and seeing the truth. There's four. We should be praying regularly, if not daily, for him to open our eyes and open our ears so we can hear and see him and, and we can be in the center of his will for our lives. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. But here... As soon as he revealed himself to them, they didn't get to talk with him anymore that day. He just disappeared. In verse 32, it says, And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us as he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Have you had that burning in your heart lately? Have you ever had that burning in your heart? When you were reading the word? It's not about experiences or, you know, some adrenaline rush or emotional high or something like that. It's, it's not like heartburn, you know, that's a physical thing, but it's like, man, it's just like hearts are on fire with love for him and appreciation for what he is and what he's done. And I'm not talking about cruising in on Sunday morning or Wednesday night and, you know, filling a space. You don't write your name on it, but you always sit there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about with a hunger to make him known to other people, a hunger to know him more intimately in your own heart and life, a hunger to see those people that you know around you that are not saved, saved. And as you read the word, it just encourages you and sets your heart on fire again and again and again to 
make sure that those people, the lost or the stumbling or whoever, hear about Jesus so he can open their eyes. Amen? Amen. How good he is and how perfect is his word. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. One last point here. Neither of them knew each other's heart until he disappeared. Then they were communicating and they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn? Wasn't that exciting? Man, what he said. Now they had hearts that were on fire. Again, because they were in that time lapse there of, of uh, what they thought they knew and now they really know. And they fellowship together in the truth. Isn't that a great thing as a Christian to be able to fellowship in the truth? To be in a home fellowship or be right here, be at a youth meeting or a men's group or a women's group. And as you're there fellowshipping and, you know, breaking bread together and all to share what Jesus has been doing that week in your life, in your ministry, in your part of the ministry. Praise the Lord. And that's part of being a Christian to build each other up, to encourage each other in the, the mighty works of God in our lives. One reason that Jesus left so that they would minister to each other, so that they would love on each other. And we're to be like these two from this point on. <laughs> And that we're to love each other, say the, the interesting thing about speaking to an audience where you don't know anybody but the pastor, I don't know anybody. I don't know who you are or where you are with the Lord. But I can tell you this, every one of us in this room needs to ask for more boldness. We need to ask him to open the doors of opportunity so that we can minister to people, we can speak to people. And we need to pray for him for him to reveal to us what he wants us to do in this church building or in this community, how he wants us to serve, where he wants us to serve, where he wants us to use our hands for his glory, our mouth. And then when he speaks to us and gives us that direction and we know that it's from him, then get up and move it. And do it. And serve it with all your heart and all your energy. Speak to your friends. Speak to your family. Speak to the lost at work. Speak to the lost on the street or wherever it might be. And speak to them about Jesus. Not, you know, we're not in a religion. You know that. We're, we're in a relationship with the king of kings. And so we tell them about him. And what a privilege we have. Amen.
to go and stir up hearts, stir up little fires in people, and then pray for them after that, that it erupts into a bonfire. Father, we bless you. And we thank you that we have that privilege. And as someone said uh, long ago, I don't know who it was even, they said, preach the gospel. And where necessary, use words. May we live for you. May we be bright lights in the midst of the darkness in which we live. That you can be seen. You can be heard and understood clearly. We bless you, Lord. And thank you for the fruit that you'll bring forward in the, in, in the days ahead for this body of believers in this community and around the world. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.